Yesterday was the holiday that we commonly refer to as Halloween. But for myself, I often refer to it as Reformation Day. Um, instead of celebrating a pagan holiday, I think back to 1517, October 31st, and that would be the date that a Franciscan monk, um, a, one of the priests of the Roman Catholic order, nailed the 95 Theses on the door at the Wittenberg Castle. And it was 95 Theses in which he was essentially protesting against the wrongful use of indulgences. People at that time were purchasing what's called indulgences in order to purchase salvation for those who had already passed away. And it was a blatantly unbiblical um, practice. And Martin Luther, having studied these scriptures, came to his own conviction that salvation comes by faith alone. Justification comes by faith alone. And so he came to that conviction, and I bring him up because he not only was the man who started what we understand as the Reformation back in 1517, but he was also a man of prayer. I don't know if you realize that. This was a man that every single day he would pray for two hours. Uh, that is an amazing amount. I remember going into seminary and taking prayer class, and one of the assignments from our prayer professor to us was that each of us as students had to pray for one hour, and we had to mark down uh, kind of our own log that we prayed for one hour. And depending upon the professor that you had, some professors said you can break it up during the day, and some professors said, no, it has to be one hour of uninterrupted time where you're doing nothing but praying. And so that was tough, but then when I see that Martin Luther would pray for two hours, it certainly puts things into perspective. But here's the thing, on days where he would be especially busy, you know, and that's usually one of the excuses for us, right? When we're busy, we don't have time to pray. On the days in which he was especially busy, he would pray instead for three hours, knowing that he needed the empowerment of God and the Holy Spirit to get through what he had to get through that day in a way that would glorify God. And so this is a reminder to us of just how important prayer is, and especially as we go into this passage, because I know that for myself, speaking personally, and I know for that just about every single Christian I've ever talked to, um, I've ever known, no one will say that they pray nearly often enough. And most of us, unfortunately, will go too long of a period before going to the Lord in prayer. And some of that I understand because some of that, for many of you, you don't know what to pray. You don't know how to pray it. And so we're going to address some of that this morning. And certainly the scriptures are not silent in this matter. The scriptures tell us all over the place that we should be in prayer. In fact, our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know if you know this, but if you think about the start of his ministry, when the Holy Spirit descended at his baptism, the book of Luke tells us that Jesus was actually in prayer when the Spirit descended upon him, when the heavens opened up and the voice from heaven, which was God the Father, spoke. And I don't know if you know this, but when he chose his 12 disciples soon after that, he didn't just go out and just start randomly picking disciples. You know what he did? He prayed all night. He went up into a mountain and prayed all night, and then he chose his disciples. And even at the transfiguration, where we see the glory of God shining through the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, when the transfiguration occurred, he was praying on a high mountain. Even Jesus Christ, who was God in human flesh and probably had the greatest excuse of all of us not to pray, 
if you look at his ministry, he was very much a man of prayer. And he wanted us as disciples to be people of prayer as well. And so as we take a look at our message for this morning, you see the title there. It is The Armor of God, Part 10. And that is the subtitle, Prayer for Spiritual Warfare. We're going to be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And really it stretches down to verse 20. Uh, but we're going to look at verse 18, and to be quite honest with you, we're not even going to get halfway through this verse, and I'm sure that surprises none of you. Uh, but we're going to take a look at um, prayer as being taught in verse 18, and then we'll continue this next week uh, to complete, really, the book of Ephesians. And my purpose this morning, as you can see there, it's to emphasize the vital role of prayer in spiritual warfare. Now, let me ask you this. When it comes to spiritual warfare, at what time of your life are you in the middle of spiritual warfare? Say it out loud. Always. Spiritual warfare is always going on around us. So when I say that this is prayer for spiritual warfare, in essence, this is prayer for our entire lives. This is not just for when we perceive war, spiritual war going on around us, but it is a recognition on our part that spiritual warfare is always ongoing. We have learned that as we have read through this. And for this message, which we'll stretch into next week, we're going to see five key aspects, five key aspects of prayer that make it effective for spiritual warfare. But now that brings us to the verses we'll look at this morning, starting in verse 18. This is verse 18, and we see that this is really just a continuation of this passage on spiritual warfare. Verse 18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so those last three verses, that is going to be where we're going to start our lesson this morning. And I mentioned five key aspects of prayer that make it effective for spiritual warfare. And the first key aspect of prayer, and this is going to be important because as we think about how we are to pray amid this spiritual warfare, we're going to see five key lessons that help us understand how to apply this call to prayer and what makes it effective. And the first is the fullness of prayer. So as we take a look at verse 18, it starts off with, with all prayer and petition. With all prayer and petition. And in fact, the word all shows up multiple times in this verse. We see it there with all prayer. We see it at all times. And we see it with all perseverance and with all the saints. And so we see it applied four different times just in this one verse. So you can see just how much Paul is emphasizing the importance of prayer. But when we think about the words prayer and petition, what does that mean? And we take a look a little bit more closely at verse 18. And it says, with all prayer and petition. And the word prayer, it can refer to one of two things, specific requests made of God. So any specific request that you bring to God, that can be referred to as a prayer. But more generally, it can refer to any kind of communication you have with God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into this lesson. Because what I want you to understand is that prayer is not something that you should go to just because you have a need. It's not something that you should do just because you have a request from God the Father, but it, sh it should be something that you're engaged in all throughout the day. 
And there's so much more that you can be doing in prayer other than just bringing requests to Him. And we'll talk about that as we go through. The second word, petition, these are specific requests made to God. And so I said that prayer can mean specific requests, but in this case, when he says all prayer and petition, um, I think what he's saying is that all the prayers that we bring up to God, including all the specific requests that we may bring to Him. So with all prayer and petition, Paul is talking about everything that you may bring before God, all that you want to communicate, all that you might want to request to Him. And so this is really the fullness of prayer that when we go to prayer as part of the spiritual warfare, we want to take the time to bring everything that is needed in our discussion, in our communication, our time of uh, communion with God, I should say. And so the fullness of prayer requires everything. We want to bring all of our prayers and all of our petitions. But the second key aspect is going to be the frequency of prayer, the frequency of prayer. And so as we continue on, we see in verse 18 that it's not just with all prayer and petition, but that we are to pray at all times. Pray at all times. Now, obviously, we look at that and we think that can't be literal. We can't pray each and every single second of the day, right? Because obviously, we're sleeping during some parts of the day. And even when you look at the life of Jesus Christ and His disciples, they are not said to pray at every single moment. But when we see here, pray at all times, this is not to say every single second, but throughout the day, throughout your lives, as you get opportunity, you want to be in prayer. In fact, some translations have this as pray in all seasons, in all occasions, no matter what occasions you're in. You know, we're told to pray before we read the Word of God. You should pray Thanksgiving after you read the Word of God. You should pray with your fellow believers as they reveal needs that they have. You can pray for your own needs. You can give praise in prayer to to God when you see something that is good. Last night, I saw a few of you upload some pictures onto Facebook of the beautiful sunset we had last night. You know, that's the handiwork of God Himself. That is God's work in creation, and you can give praise to God for that. You can drop your head in prayer and just say, God, I thank you that even in this corrupt world that we can see such beautiful handiwork, we can have this beautiful vision that you bring about to us even here in Brawley. And so we want to be able to pray at all times in all seasons. And just to give you some additional verses, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And we've seen these verses before. Verse 16 says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. And not only that, in verse 18, in everything, give thanks. And by the way, when you give thanks, how do you give thanks? In prayer. I mean, you can certainly just utter thanksgiving to God, but you give thanks in prayer. I mean, you can just say to God, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the blessings of my family. Thank you, God, for the provisions that even during these economic hard times that you are continuing to sustain me, no matter how difficult it is. So we want to be able to pray without ceasing ceasing, and in everything give thanks, in everything. Because we have to remember that in this world, there is nothing that we have in this world that wasn't given to us by God. You understand that? I know many of you work and many of you work very hard. You work some long hours. You labor away in order to help the business that you're working with to be successful. But you don't have those opportunities unless God has granted them to you. You don't have those opportunities unless 
God has provided for you in that way. And that's true for everyone. We always want to give thanks to God for all that He has provided. But we also see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. It's the same kind of idea. With everything in everything, by prayer and supplication. And supplication is another word for um, petition. It's, uh, it's an urgent, this is like an urgent request, an urgent plea of God, but by prayer and supplication. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so even in that one verse, even that one verse, what we see here is that we see prayer, we see supplication, we see thanksgiving, all involved in prayer. And so we see these encouragements in these scripture for us to be constant, to be consistent in our prayer to God. And this is a real test for us. I mean, for those of us, you know, we live our lives and we often, I tell you, when we've had some success in this world, you know, whether it's at your job or whether it's at school, whatever it may be, you've had some success, you're getting good grades or you're doing well at work, your family is doing well, things are going well. You know what is the tendency of the human heart? The tendency of the human heart is to get complacent. The tendency of the human heart is to start to take credit for those things. Oh, I did that myself. Oh, yeah, it's because I'm on top of everything. Oh, it's because I put together these plans and, and I've been taught how to plan. So this is all about my ability to plan. This is all about the wisdom that I have or the skills that I have developed over the years. And as believers, the time that we end up going to prayer most often, and I know all of you can relate to this, the time that we end up going to prayer most often is when we are going through the hardest struggles, right? But we have to realize that prayer is not just for those times of struggles. It is even for those times of successes to remind us that we are completely dependent upon God for all things. We are completely dependent upon God for all things. Now, I do want to talk about this idea of praying without ceasing. Okay, so we understand that this is not something that you do every single second of the day, but you take every opportunity to do it. Now, you might think, but that even is oftentimes impractical. Because if I'm out on the field riding a tractor, how am I going to get down on my knees and close my eyes and fold my hands and start praying to God? How am I going to do that if I'm driving from city to city? You know, how am I going to do that if I'm on my feet having to go from place to place and working? Well, praying without ceasing, you have to understand that we often have this very limited view of when and how we can pray. So when we think about the posture of prayer, and I'm just going to share some of these with you just to get us thinking about prayer and the ways that we can pray. We often think about bowing or kneeling, right? You know, oftentimes we teach our kids to kneel by the bedside, fold your hands, and lay your head against the bedside and pray. And that's a wonderful way to pray. Just that posture helps us to remind ourselves that we are to be humbled before God. And sometimes people will bow all the way to the ground. You know, people will just get on the ground and put their face down to the ground and spread out their hands and pray that way. And you can do that as well. But you can also pray while you're sitting. There's nothing in the scriptures that say you can't sit and pray. In fact, you can walk and pray. You know, if you're walking somewhere, and even if you are driving, you can keep your eyes open and you can pray to God. You could stand and pray. 
In fact, if you look at some of the commandments from Jesus Christ with regards to prayer, he often makes reference to us actually standing and praying. So the posture actually doesn't matter. You can take any posture, whether it's bowing or kneeling or sitting or walking or standing, even laying down. And the place of prayer, it can be either public or private. You could pray in private in your home. You could pray in a secret room, in a closet, but you don't have to. I remember there was that movie War Room that came out, and really the gist of it is that this main character would have her closet space that she cleared out, and she would put these post-it notes on the wall, and that's what she called her prayer room. But folks, that's not the only place that you, have, you can pray. You can pray anywhere. It doesn't have to be in a secret room. And I know you're thinking, well, Jesus Christ said, go into some place where you can't be seen. Well, he also lifted up public prayer. He also prayed in front of his disciples. So that can't be an all-restrictive command. You know, but the idea is this, and if you read that in context, you'll see that Jesus is saying, look, don't pray just so that you receive credit from other men. Don't pray just to be seen so that you can exalt yourself. If that's your temptation, then go pray in private so that you can ensure that in your heart you are truly praying with the right motives. And the characteristics of prayer. You can pray out loud or you can pray silently. And certainly when we come together, we pray out loud in a corporate prayer when I come up here. When we meet on Friday mornings, we do pray out loud, we take turns. But nothing says that it has to be out loud. You think God can't read your thoughts? When you're verbalizing things in your mind, you think that the Holy Spirit is not able to understand that? You know, the point is that you're taking that time to communicate with God. The point is that you're taking that time to be in communion with our Lord. And as I mentioned, your eyes can be open or they can be closed. There's no hard requirement that says your eyes need to be closed. Now, I would recommend that if you're still, like here, it's good to close your eyes because it keeps you from distractions. Sometimes when our eyes are open, we're tempted to start looking at other people. You know, but if our eyes are closed, it helps us to stay focused a little bit more on the Lord. So essentially, my point is this, is that there are no physical restrictions on how or when you can pray. You can pray at any time. You can pray in any posture. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. You can pray in public, you can pray in private. There really is no restrictions here. And so this is the frequency of prayer. We want to be praying at all times. And if you understand that there's no restrictions, I think it makes it easier for you to find times during the day in which you can be in prayer. You can pray while you're eating. Of course, we say grace before we eat, but you can pray while you're eating if you're not in conversation with someone. And I tell you what, even if I'm in conversation with someone, even if I am in conversation especially with an unbeliever, I may be talking to that unbeliever, but I'm usually praying at the same time, Lord, give me an opening. Give me an opportunity that I can share the gospel. Help me, help me guide this conversation towards spiritual realities. And you can do that. You can do that. And also, and I didn't put it here, but there's no limit in terms of length. There's no rule here in the scriptures that say if a prayer isn't at least 10 minutes long, it's not a prayer. There's nothing like that. In fact, you can go to some sections of Scripture and you'll see that prayer is rather instantaneous. And so it can be as short or as long. And so this should be an encouragement that there really is no excuse for us not to be praying. You see that? There really is no excuse. 
even if it's a brief prayer, even if it's in between activities, whatever it may be. But this brings us to the third key aspect and where I'm going to spend the most of the rest of my time here, and that's on the power of prayer. So we've talked about the fullness of prayer, that for spiritual warfare, we want to bring it all. We want to bring all prayers and all requests, all petitions to God. We talked about the frequency of prayer in that we should be praying at every opportunity that we have throughout the day. And we can do that anywhere. We can do that in any way. We can do that with any, at any length of prayer. We can do that in public or private, out loud or silently. But here is the key to this all. Here is where I think is the most important point that we need to absorb. And that is the power of prayer. And as we return again to Ephesians 6.18, starting at the beginning, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And as I talk about the Spirit, I am talking, of course, about the Holy Spirit. We are to be in the Spirit in prayer, and many of us might look at that and say, well, what does that mean? How do I know I'm in the Spirit? Or if I have not been in the Spirit, if I am not having a good week spiritually, how do I get in the Spirit? Or do I have to wait to be in the Spirit before I'm in prayer? You know, so let's take a look at this, and essentially to be in the Spirit is to have, first of all, the right mindset. So the right mindset. So to be in the Spirit, we'll start with the right mindset, and we want to have a mindfulness of God. And what do I mean by a mindfulness of God? You ever have, uh, you know, in your home when you've got someone in the home who's really, really upset at you and just pretending like you're, you don't even exist? You know, maybe there's um, a little disagreement between the spouses, between husband and wife, and you're just not talking to each other. And believe me, even Alice and I have those times. We're just silent. We don't let it go for long. But, you know, there are times where in our flesh, we get upset at each other and there's that silence between us. And we'll just go about whatever we have to do um, and we'll do it as if the other person's not there. Your kids will do this. If they get really upset at you, right, they'll start walking around the house doing stuff as if you're not even there. And so what we want to do is we want to have a mindfulness about God's presence. Because where is God? He's everywhere, right? We call that omnipresent. There is no place you can go that's outside the presence of God. In fact, that is one of the Psalms of David. He said in one of the Psalms, he asked, where is it that I can go outside of your presence? And the obvious answer is nowhere. There's nowhere you can go that is outside the presence of God. God is everywhere. And so we want to have this mindfulness of God. We want to know that He is present. And when we recognize He is present, then it's going to help us avoid some common mistakes, if you will, when it comes to prayer. And as an example of one, we want to avoid just meaningless repetition. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, we won't look at it, but before the Lord goes into the Lord's Prayer, He talks about avoiding just meaningless repetition, where you just repeat the same thing over and over and over and over again. Because when you get into that meaningless repetition, you're not even thinking, right? You know, the Roman Catholic Church, they have their rosary. Hail Mary, full of grace, that's what they say. And often they'll just repeat that over and over again. And it can be a mindless, mind-numbing activity where you're just saying it over and over again as if it's some sort of voodoo chant, that God is somehow glorified by you just repeating phrases over and over again. But He's not. He's not glorified. No, no more than if your child just comes and stands before you and says, I love you, Dad, I love you, Dad, I love you, Dad, I love you, Dad, I love you, Dad. Right? I mean, that's not, 
come on, talk to me, right? So we want to have conver a real conversation with, with God. We want to be able to actually talk to him. That's what prayer is. It's just communication with God. And so we want to avoid meaningless repetition. We also want to avoid seeking approval from men. Now, this is really not that hard to understand when you think about what the motivation should be. When you're going before God, the main motivation is that that is time before you and God. It's not so that other people look at you and say, wow, look at how holy this person is, speaking to God. You know, it's just the same thing with you parents and your kids. You want your kids to want to come talk to you with the right motives. You know, not because they're looking to check off a box and say, okay, I need to talk to my parents once every day. And they'll just come to you, hi, mom, hi, dad, how's your day? Okay, bye. Right? I mean, we want this to be a real conversation. So we're not looking for meaningless repetition. We're not looking for the approval of men. We're also not seeking to exalt ourselves. And in Luke chapter 18, and you can just write down that reference, Luke 18, 11 to 12, that is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Where the Pharisee goes up and he prays, God, thank you for not making me like this tax collector. He's just exalting himself. And he is praying that, hey, I, I, um, I fast twice a week. I tithe uh, everything that, um, you know, 10% of everything I get. Um, you know, he has all these words that are meant to simply just exalt himself, but that is not the point of going to God either. Because let me ask you this, when you go before God, what reason do you have to exalt yourself? None. Absolutely none. God is the one that deserves exaltation. Because we want to recognize that we are fully dependent upon God for everything. For everything. Right? And I have there James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And in short, James is talking about how our life is nothing more than a vapor. And some of us who talk about all the plans that we have in the future that, oh, tomorrow I'm going to do this, next week I'm going to do this, next year I'm going to do that. And James calls them out for their arrogance. Because God is the one that is ultimately in control. And we understand that just from this year, at the start of the year, how many of us were looking at 2020 and had all kinds of plans for 2020? Well, that came to a screeching halt, didn't it? You know, so we're not in control. God is in control. And we may make plans. We might have ideas and things that we want to do, but we also want to be in prayer to God, recognizing that He is the one who is ultimately in control. And we have to be humbled before Him. We have to recognize that we are completely dependent upon Him. We don't want to wait until those times that tragedy strikes to recognize that. Because there is nothing that we have that wasn't given to us by God. God is the one who has provided us with all things. And we also do not want to grieve or quench the Spirit. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul talks about the fact that you should not grieve the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, he gives a similar command. He says, do not quench the Spirit. And this is obviously in reference to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And you can read those passages on your own, but to grieve the Spirit in that context is about speaking unwholesome words. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it's about not despising prophetic utterances, not despising the Word of God. But there are ways in which we can walk in which the Holy Spirit within us is grieved or is quenched. And I don't think it's hard for you to know when those times are. I mean, obviously, when you're here at church and you're in worship and you're in praise, those are times that you are in the Spirit. 
If you go out into the world and you're getting angry and you're cursing and swearing and you're saying things that you shouldn't be saying, obviously you're grieving the Spirit. In fact, at every moment of our day, we want to be walking by the Spirit, and we'll take a look at that verse soon. But also, we want to conform our will to God's will. We want to conform our will to God's will. What does this mean? Well, you think about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer starts off with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then what's next? Thy kingdom come. And what's next after that? Thy will be done. You know, it's no accident that Jesus Christ, when He starts this model of prayer, He starts with a recognition of God who is holy and separated in heaven, but also that we desire for His kingdom to come and that we desire for His will to be done. So to pray in the Spirit is to try to align your will with God's will. You know, I know many of you parents, when you're talking to your kids, you tell your kids, I want you to study hard, I want you to do well, do the best that you possibly can. And you want them to just trust you and do it, right? You don't want your kids to be reasoning with you and trying to explain to you why playing games is better. You don't want your kids to try to bring a, an argument to you and say, well, mom, I want you to change your view here, and I want you, instead of making me do my homework, I want you to just want for me to have fun with going out and playing outside with my friends all the time. And who cares about the homework? You know, you understand that in the position of authority, you have expectation of your kids, and you want your kids to have those same expectations because that is what is best for them, right? And that's the same for us. God wants what is best for us. God wants us to do His will. And so oftentimes we have these plans of our own, and I tell you, our culture has completely twisted this, because in our culture, we often pursue our own dreams. How often people say, pursue your own dreams, do what makes you happy. And by itself, you know, there's, that can be fine as long as what you're pursuing is realistic and, and reasonable, but really even better than that, we should be pursuing what God wants us to pursue. We should be comparing our desires and our thoughts with the desires and thoughts of God, His will and His purpose for us. So we want to conform our will to God's will. And I have here also Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. That's um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? That's when He's praying and His sweat is coming down like blood. And He is asking God to remove this cup from me. But what does He say after that? Not my will, but what? Yours be done. And so we understand that Jesus Christ, even as our example, even God in human flesh was not operating according to His will, but He was submitting Himself to the will of God the Father. So as an example, He was aligning, He was willing to submit Himself to God the Father's will. 2 Corinthians 12 is Paul in the thorn in the flesh. You know that passage. Paul has a thorn in the flesh, and he prays to God how many times to take away that thorn? Three times. Three times he requested that thorn be removed. Jesus answers him directly and essentially says, I will not remove that thorn. My strength is perfected in your weakness. And what does Paul say after that? Paul says, okay, then I am going to glory in my weakness. For when I am weak, Christ is strong. So we want to align our will to God's will. In 1 Peter 3, 7, this is for husbands and wives. 1 Peter 3, 7 is directly to husbands. And it says to live with your wife in an understanding way, recognizing her as a joint heir. But it also says to do this so that your prayers will not be hindered. 
So husbands, if your prayers have been hindered recently, take a look at how your relationship is with your spouse. And I would say that that is true also from wives to husbands. You can extend that out to our relationships with the rest of the family of God. Now, I'm not saying that our lives need to be at this perfect standard. But you must be shooting to do what is right. You must be recognizing the areas where you need to reconcile with people. Areas in which you need to be more involved and to be more encouraging to be there more often for your fellow saints who need you. And then also to be in the Spirit, it relates to our walk. It relates to our walk. And you have seen in the book of Ephesians from chapter 4 through 5 that multiple times Paul will say, walk, walk, walk. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Walk not like the Gentiles. Walk in love. Walk in wisdom. Walk as children of light. And so we see in Ephesians, Ephesians is a very spiritual book. And the idea is that when we're walking in the correct way, when we're walking in a way that the Bible calls us to walk, we are certainly in the Spirit. And we see this verse, Ephesians 5, 17 through 20. Let me just read this for you. It's on the screen there. But Ephesians 5, 17 through 20, we've covered this before. Verse 17 says, So then do not be foolish. Do not be a fool. Do not be foolish. Okay, so what is the opposite of being foolish? Well, it is to understand what the will of the Lord is. You know how the Bible defines foolish? It's not understanding the will of God. And how do we understand the will of God? We understand the will of God by going to the Scriptures. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. In other words, do not engage in anything where you lose control of your own mental facilities. You know, your mind is your most important asset given to you by God. Your mind is where you will remember and think about scriptures, remind yourself of spiritual realities. And so certainly you don't want to get drunk where you lose control of your mind. But it says here, instead of doing that, be filled with, and I would say be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. So we see it right here in Ephesians, what it means to be in the Spirit. It's in this very same book that we're told to be filled by the Spirit. And what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? It doesn't mean that we start speaking in tongue and doing all this ecstatic, supernatural stuff. What it means is right there in front of us, verse 19 says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Have you ever thought that when you pray that you can actually sing your favorite hymns as part of your prayer? If you have certain hymns that you love singing, if you have certain hymns that you can feel lifts up your spirit and makes you think about God and nothing else, use that to your advantage. Right here, it tells us to be filled by the Spirit means that we are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody with your heart to the Lord. We're not only doing that with each other, but we're also doing that to the Lord. You can use that to your advantage. Sing your favorite hymns and help you to have your heart just lifted up to the Lord. And verse 20, always giving thanks. And once again, giving thanks. Another reason for prayer that we have discussed. Give thanks to the Lord. Giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. 
And then Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, this idea of walking by the Spirit. I'm trying to show you more verses so you get more of a concept of what this means. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, or the desire of the flesh. In fact, what we see here in verse 16, you're either walking by the Spirit or you're walking according to the desires of your flesh. One of two things. At all moments. That is the spiritual war. You are either walking by the Spirit or you're walking by the flesh. And then verse 17, as we look at verse 17, it continues, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. And you know what's being described there? That portion right there that's underlined. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. That right there is the spiritual war within us. There are elements of the spiritual war that are outside of us, but within us, that is describing the spiritual war raging right in our own hearts. And the reason, verse 17 goes on to say, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So the flesh and the spirit always at war against one another. But as we go a little bit further down, verse 22, Galatians 5, 22, reads, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You want to test to know whether you're walking in the Spirit or not? Look at those verses. Are you being characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because that is the fruit of the Spirit. When you're walking by the Spirit, you see the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 24 goes on to say, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So are you starting to get this sense here, what Scripture says about being in the Spirit? You know, it's not this externally supernatural kind of thing. It's really just us walking the way that God has called us to walk and bearing the fruit that God wants us to bear. But the Holy Spirit also helps you in your prayers. Do you know that? Sometimes we don't know what to pray, and the Holy Spirit can help you there as well. Sometimes you don't know what to pray, but if you have a moment of prayer, you can just kind of stop, if you can, and and just be in communion with God. Just feel the presence of God and let the Holy Spirit work within you to reveal things that you should be praying for. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. We read this, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. He helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. So guess what? If you are one of those that are uncomfortable praying out loud because you're unsure of how to pray, or even if you're uncomfortable praying by yourself because you're unsure of how to pray, you know what this verse tells us? This verse tells us that the Holy Spirit will help you. If you are in the Word, if you are reading the Word, if you are growing according to the Word, if you understand what the Bible says, the Spirit will help you even in those times where your mind may blank. And I understand that even as I preach to you guys, you know, I need the Holy Spirit to help me be clear in how I am communicating and what I communicate. And even when I'm evangelizing someone, how often have you talked to someone about the things of God and then later on you're like, oh, I forgot to mention this and I forgot to mention this and I forgot to mention this. You know, the Spirit can help us during those times. 
it's not necessarily that the Spirit is giving us knowledge that we don't have, but really the Spirit can help us be clear about what we do have and be able to speak about what we know. But it says says that in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, this groanings, this is not tongue. People have looked at this and said, oh yeah, this is where we speak tongue. That's not what this is. Have you ever had those times where, and especially when you go through a tragedy in life, when you, your heart just feels like it's been ripped by a recent tragedy, and we know that there are some going through that now even as we speak. And sometimes your grief is so deep that you can't even come up with the words to describe it. You ever have that time? I know many of you have. And that's just to say, you know, you know what? Sometimes we don't even know what words to say. But we can be there and recognize that we're in the presence of God. And we can just pray out to God and say, God, help me. And the Spirit is able to read your heart. The Spirit knows your groanings. The Spirit knows the angst that you're feeling. The Spirit knows that, that feeling of hopelessness or that difficulty or that hurt or that anger or whatever it may be. And the Spirit will intercede for you. The Spirit makes sure that what you're feeling and what you're thinking, God knows those things. But you also want to be sensitive too as you're in that moment trying to understand and to think about what is God's will in all this? What is God's will for me in this time? What does God want out of this situation? And verse 27 goes on to say, And he who searches the heart, this is referring to God the Father, God the Father who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. See, if the Spirit is within you and the Spirit knows what you are thinking, and God is connected to the Spirit, That is a guarantee that anything that you're thinking or feeling, God knows it, even if you don't have the perfect words to describe it. So he intercedes for the saints. It says at the end of verse 27, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That is the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And it's not just the Spirit that we have interceding for us. Who else do we have interceding for us? Up in heaven. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. That's Psalm 110, verse 4. He is the great high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and God promised that God, that God in human flesh, God the Son, Jesus Christ, that He is a priest forever. And the idea is that He is at the right hand of God, and He's not only reigning, but He is at the right hand of God constantly interceding for you. Always. So you have the Spirit of God. You have God, the Holy Spirit, within you who knows your heart and your mind. You have God the Son in heaven who is interceding for you. And you have God the Father who knows the hearts of man as well. You have the full Trinity. You have the full Godhead there for you to support you. And you can even read 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how God is a God of comfort. He comforts us in our affliction. And you will see the word comfort used over and over again. And I bring this up because I don't want you to look at this as a chore, but it's something that you should be able to come to God to remind you of His will, but also it should be a time of refreshment for you. 
If you come to God with the right attitude, with the right mindset, as we have laid out here, and we'll continue talking about this next week, but if you come to God with the right mindset, God gives you comfort. He gives you peace. He allows you to endure these difficulties, these struggles. And so just some prayer recommendations that I want to leave you with, some principles that we can draw out of this lesson. One is that you should pray often. Whether you're waking, cooking, driving during your quiet moments. Two is you can pray the scriptures. You know, in your daily time when you go to the scriptures, not only should you pray before you go to the scriptures, not only should you pray after you read the scriptures, but you can actually pray the scriptures to God himself. If there are certain psalms, just like I talked about, if there are certain hymns that you enjoy singing, you can sing that in prayer to God. But if there are certain psalms that you really love, you can, you can recite those psalms back to God. And as you're praying to God, as you're going through those verses, you can really meditate upon the rich meaning that is there. Praying to God to help you to even understand that even better. So you can pray before, during, and after your quiet time. You can pray in your meditation of Scripture. You know, and as you do your quiet time each day, your devotion, whatever you're reading, pick something out that you can meditate upon at some point during the day. And like I said, it can be at any time. You could be driving, and I do this often. Now, obviously, when there's a lot of activity going on, you know, I want to be sure that you're not taking your focus off of the road. But a lot of time, I do a lot of meditation while I'm driving. That was back in L.A. I had a lot of time to drive. Maybe not as much here. But in L.A., when I was in a lot of that traffic, you know, I'm thinking about certain verses. I'm thinking about what I'm teaching in the next lesson. I'm thinking about how certain scriptures apply to me and apply to the people I'm talking to. Spend that time just meditating upon scripture because it's going to become deeper. And here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of doing these things. When you are praying, when you are praying the Scriptures, when you are meditating upon Scripture, during that time that you're meditating upon Scripture, you know your mind can only focus on one thing at a time, right? Your mind can only stay focused on one idea at a time. And when you are meditating upon the Scriptures, you are in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit. And pray with more than just requests. Don't just pray with your request. Certainly, if you have a request, bring that to God. Absolutely bring that to God. If you have nothing else, bring that to God. But give adoration, give praise, give thanksgiving. And what do I mean by adoration? I mean, just take a moment to recognize the greatness of our Lord. You know, there are certain songs like, Great is Thy Faithfulness, right? That's a great song to sing back to God. Because when you're singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, you are, you are giving adoration to God for His faithfulness. Or if you sing that song, How Great Is Our God, uh, you can sing that as well. I mean, there's a number of different songs, but there's a number of different ways that you can give adoration to God, give Him, give Him the glory that He deserves. Recognize Him as the Almighty Creator. Recognize Him as the one who has given you every good and perfect thing in your life. Recognize Him as the one that has given you another day. He has given you food to eat. He has given you things to drink. He has provided for you every single day up until this day. And I know that for sure because you're all here. Because if He ever failed to provide what you absolutely needed, you wouldn't even be here. But He has given each and every one of you what you have absolutely needed. 
And so we want to lift up that adoration. We want to give praise for all good things that happen. When you lift up your prayer request to God, one of the great things about lifting up your prayer request to God is that you can praise Him for answering those prayers. You know, but God hears our prayers, and so we can give praise to Him for answering those prayers. We can give praise to Him even for the good things in life that we didn't pray for, and there is a lot. And give thanks. We, we give thanks similar to praise. We also give thanks for all that He has done, and we have thanksgiving coming upon us. Count your prayers, right? The idea of thanksgiving is to think back of all the things that you're thankful for. You know, and we can be a really entitled bunch. And when I say entitled, and especially in this culture, we have this mindset that we are entitled to more than what we have. This is where coveting comes from, that I deserve more. This, this is where the heart of looting gets into. When we see all this looting and violence and people stealing, that, that is entitlement. That is pride. That is coveting. That, that is a lack of thanksgiving for what God has really given you. You know, and you know how we never really appreciate something until it's taken away from us? You know, why is it that something has to be taken away from us for us to be thankful for it? You know, so the opportunity for us now to be in the Spirit is to be thankful for what God has given us, recognizing we have everything we need and we have everything above and beyond that. You know, and as I mentioned, pray with your favorite hymns. That was the verses that we just read from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. But even in Acts 16, 25, and you can read that chapter for yourself, that's when Paul goes into the city of Philippi for the first time. Slave girl is chasing him around and saying, these men represent the God of Most High. They, they, they speak on behalf of God of Most High. And she had a demon inside of her that was causing her to do that. Paul turns around, casts out the demon. But she was a moneymaker for her masters. And so they got upset. They brought false accusations against him. They beat him. They imprisoned him. They fastened him in stocks. They put him in the most secure place of that prison. And what does he and Silas do? They're singing praise and hymns and lifting up just their songs of worship to God. And what happens? An earthquake strikes. The jailer comes. And the jailer eventually kneels before Paul and Silas and asks, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to be saved? It's an example of how even during these dark times, the way we can lift up our hearts is to sing praise and hymns and songs. And we can do it as a part of prayer because that passage, when you read it, it says that they were both praying as well as singing hymns. It's not just one activity or the other. They can do both at the same time. And then, of course, we want to be sure that we are praying for others, not just for others, but we are praying with others. You know, when you come across your loved ones, friends, family, people within the church, whoever it may be, and you hear about the difficulties that they're going through, don't just say, I'll pray for you. If you have time, say, come on, let's, let's pray right now. Put your hand on that person and say, let's bow our heads in prayer, in prayer before our God. Because I, I cannot tell you how often and how much of an encouragement it is, not only for a person to know that you're praying, but actually to hear your prayer. What an encouragement that is. So pray for them, but also pray with them. Do it over the phone. If you hear something over the phone and they, you're being asked to pray for them and you have a moment to say, well, can I do that right now? And pray for them right over the phone. 
Or if you know someone is struggling, you already know that they're going through difficulties, reach out to them, call them. Say, hey, I was thinking about you, brother. I was thinking about you, sister. How are things going and, and how can I pray for you? Some of the most blessed times of fellowship with my fellow saints are those times that we're just praying for each other. Because it's me and that person and it's God. And if you are here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is also our prayer that you would be saved. We pray for salvation for you. We pray for salvation for our family, for the people of this valley. We want the gospel to go forth. And so if you do not know the Lord, I'm here to tell you that today, make today the day of your salvation. You see, what the Lord came to do, what the Lord prayerfully came to do throughout His ministry was to do the will of God, but not just to do the will of God, to prove Himself to be perfect, but also to go to the cross and to die on the cross. And He is hanging by those nails from His ankles and His feet. And during that moment, He would even utter the words, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was a prayer from our Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. But for you to be saved, you have to recognize your need for a Savior. You have to recognize your need for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to recognize that salvation cannot come by the good works that you do because your good works are nothing more than filthy rags before God. Your good works will not justify you because you are a sinner. You have broken the law. And James 2.10 says, even if you break it at one point, you are guilty of it all. And the book of Hebrews says we live once and then comes judgment. There is no reincarnation. And the idea that all religions lead to the same place is a lie from the pit of hell. You see, the only way to salvation, the only way that you can get into heaven is through Jesus Christ because only Jesus Christ could live the perfect life and only Jesus Christ could offer up His life as payment for our sin. No one else could do it because no one else is Jesus Christ. And so by the payment that Jesus Christ paid on the cross, He has provided forgiveness of your sins. He has provided salvation to everyone who would believe. And so if you are here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the requirement is simple. It is that you turn away from your prior manner of life. We say that you, you repent. You turn away from your prior manner of life and you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith into Him. If you turn away from your prior manner of life and you put your faith into the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise in Scripture is that you will be saved. And do not delay this. Do not wait for next year. Do not wait for later in your life. Do not wait for tomorrow. But if you are convicted right now, I would urge you right now to repent and to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And for the rest of us, this is a good opportunity to remind you to look for those opportunities to share the gospel with those who are lost. Pray to God for those opportunities to be opened up. Be in prayer throughout the day. Be in communion with your God. And don't make it a laborious task, but recognize that that time of prayer with God is a time for us to receive grace and mercy. It's a grace and mercy that we so desperately need. And this is so much an important part of our spiritual war because we talked about all the pieces of the armor, the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and all the other elements of the armor. And that's all important. But all of that must be connected to your communion with our God. 
because it is in your communion with our God that you will find the power to do His will and to glorify Him in all things. Let us pray.